this week on the Tech on Tap podcast, we bring in the new name services TME, Chris Hurley, to talk about the new global name service cache in ONTAP. Welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast with Justin Parisi and Sully the Monster. I love NetApp. Oh, yeah. I love NetApp because it's so funny. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the Tech on Tap podcast. My name is Justin Parisi. I'm in the studio here with Andrew Sullivan. Hi. Hello. How you doing? I am phenomenal. You sound phenomenal. You know, I just had a call with our competitive team and it's it's a great Wednesday. Uh, that's right. Any any Wednesday you can have a call with a competitive team is a great Wednesday. Indeed. Indeed. Uh, so this week we're going to discuss uh, something near and dear to my heart. Well, not really. I don't. I don't really own it anymore. I passed it on to this guy, Chris Hurley. Hi, Chris. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Oh, beautiful. Super. So uh, before we get started, Chris, tell everybody what you do here at NetApp and uh, how to reach you on social media. So I'm a tech marketing engineer for NAS, more specifically, most concentration in NFS and name services. You can reach me on Twitter at, at AverageGuyX. And don't be disappointed if you never hear anything from Chris on Twitter because he just doesn't ever go on there. I need to change he, that. Not even cat pictures. I can't say anything because I almost never. <laughs> you at tweet. least tweet some like corporate shill stuff occasionally. Like, oh, we tried in. Ooh, docker, docker, docker. Yeah, I said it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway, so this week we're going to talk about name services because um, Chris is here. Uh, and we want to talk about name services in general, what they are, uh, and what is new in ONTAP 9.3. I know we're almost at the point where we're at the next major release of ONTAP, but it's good to cover these things whenever possible. So we're oh, going to do that. Absolutely, especially with the huge changes we did. It is pretty major. So. Before we start with that, let's start with name services in general. So, are name services Active Directory? Yes, no, maybe so. Yes, all of the above. <laughs> all of the above. So, let's talk about why that is and what name services actually are. So, name services, anything that you need to look up to uh, translate in from one to another. DNS is one of them, right? You got an IP address and you got a host name. They got to translate to each other. You got user IDs and GIDs, or user ID, user IDs and usernames, which have to translate to each other. Group GIDs and group names that have to translate to each other. Active Directory can do that. Active Directory uses SIDs um, for all the Windows stuff, but for the NFS stuff, it still uses UID and GID. Yeah, so let's back up a little bit. So the reason why you'd want to have a name service is because you have things like SIDs, which are multiple characters long. People aren't going to remember that stuff. They're not going to remember numeric IDs in most cases. Most people don't remember IP addresses, especially now with IPv6. Oh, yeah. Long live IPv6. <laughs> um, so what you need is a friendly name. And DNS provides host names, and LDAP and NIS provide the usernames for the GID, UID translations. And then our friend Active Directory does the name to SID translation. So the reason why I asked about Active Directory specifically, because one of the questions I got asked a lot was, you know, why is an LDAP Active Directory and why is an Active Directory LDAP? And I was always like, well, kind of. It is. It is and it isn't. So let's go into why that is. Um, so 
Active Directory is based on LDAP, but it has a lot of other things that it does too. It's got a lot of other things specifically for Windows, right? But it can act also act as an LDAP server. It's got the the same schemas and and enough information in there so it can serve the way LDAP does, right? The same attributes, the same objects, the same uh, search characteristics. Everything's the same there. Okay. So um, Andrew looks lonely over there. Let's ask him a container question. <laughs> so how are containers and uh, other things like that being handled with regards to things like name services? Like where are you seeing out there in the field for container use of that? Is it, is it something that's set up as a container? Is it something that's dedicated to another AWS service? How does that work? I feel so included right now. I wanted to include you. This is an inclusive podcast. You are in a safe space. I, and, and I appreciate that. No, so remember, containers are just a process that's been isolated from the rest of the system. So just like any other process, you can assign a process, a user and a group to that. You can map that to a user and a group that is associated with the underlying storage device, et cetera. So it's just an application. Yeah, but how are we pointing that to things like name services? Do we do anything special? Is it different? Nope. It's handled by the underlying operating system. All right. There you go. I knew the answer to that. I want Andrew to feel included, though. <laughs> Consider yourself included. You okay. Don't, you don't look very included. So, um, so Chris, uh, how do name services work with something like ONTAP? Like, how does it tie in? So, anything ONTAP does, right, when, when uh, a client comes in and does a NAS connection, of course, there's certain things that have to get looked up. You know, if you're part of a net group, especially if you're doing an NFS mount as part of a net group, you got to translate your IP address to a host name that's probably part of the net group. Um, you got to translate your username to a UID. And ONTAP uses the name services to do those things. It, it looks up uh, IP addresses on on DNS servers that's configured for the SVM. It looks up uh you know, usernames and all the Windows stuff via Active Directory if you've got a SIF server uh, configured. And it also does uh, UID and GID lookups if you have LDAP configured. So ONTAP is essentially just a client, right? Yeah. We, and we use standard RFC 2307 compliance. We make sure that we fit into all those standards so that we don't have any surprises. Yep. Surprise! Yay! Um, that said, I mean, we're running on top of something, you know, called FreeBSD. Um, and FreeBSD has a number of libraries that can be associated with name services, mm -hmm. uh, one of which being libc, which is something we brought into the fold around, what, is it 8.2-ish? 8.2-ish, 8.3-ish, yeah. yeah, somewhere around Yeah, that. so we brought libc in to be more standardized, and we've made a lot of changes since then. So let's talk about how name services worked prior to something, say, 9.3-ish. And then let's talk about how 9.3 works. Uh, so mainly name services, it depends on which process you were looking at, right? If you're looking at SecD or MGWD. SecD is, of course, the authentication daemon. Um, so it had to do its separate lookups and, you know, go to the name services, go to DNS, go to LDAP, go to Active Directory to do all the lookups. For MGWD, it did the same thing, right? MGW, some processes run in MGWD, and it also had to do the lookups, especially with, uh, with net groups, right? There was pieces in both SecD and in MGWD, which led to 
disparate caches. So you had a cache that was in SecD, you had a cache that was in MGWD, and you also had your access cache for NFS, which none of the three could ever match if you really wanted to. That sounds needlessly complex it was. and uh, inefficient. It was. So what did we do to fix that? Well, we created a global namespace cache, and you know, in the in the spirit of libc, we actually did what's called a libc wrapper, and we put everything in this libc wrapper. So now secd, mgwd can all use this libc wrapper to go look at a common cache that's across the whole cluster. And so whenever we do a DNS lookup, whenever ONTAP does a um, uh, an LDAP lookup, it goes into the libc wrapper, puts it in the common cache, and then all nodes can can actually look at that cache. So the the burning question then, burning? Do you need some cream for that burn? <laughs> no, I'm I'm. It it does smell like smoke outside though. It does. So what does that what does that mean, right? How does that impact my day to day operations? Is, does that affect performance? Does it affect security? Does it affect something else there's there's a lot of effects so for the easiest thing first of all warming the cache before we had a multi-node the caches were all node-based right so now what we have is we have a single cache that's replicated across all the nodes so if <clears throat> if on node one we have an access or a dns entry that says yeah 192 168 that whatever maps to hostname blah, right? <clears throat> and node two wants to look up that same IP address instead of having to go to DNS because his cache isn't warmed up, he gets to look at the global cache and it gets looked up quicker instead of, you know, usually DNS is two milliseconds, three milliseconds, but you get a slow DNS server in the mix, you get a little bit of latency. Um, it gets even better when you're doing stuff like NFS v4, where you have to do a lot of UID and GID and username lookups, where you, know, you get the NAS connection from node one and a NAS connection from node two. Well, instead of both of them having to look up the same UIDs and GIDs, now you only have one node that has to look it up and all the rest of the nodes use the cache for 24 hours. Yeah, and that, didn't, that doesn't just benefit speed. That also benefits load on the servers because ONTAP is not the only thing hitting the DNS servers or the LDAP servers. Everything else in their mother is. Right. Right. So we want to try to keep as much load off those as possible because slow DNS servers are often caused by being overloaded. Yeah. So yeah. If and can, if you have a 24-node yeah. cluster that you're killing the DNS server with, uh, you know, only letting one node look at the DNS server at a time, you know, you and and let that cache go across all 24 nodes, you're you're reducing the load significantly. So this cache spans all the nodes, not just the HA pair, right? Right. It's it spans all the nodes. There's a process that uses the cluster network to replicate the the caches between the nodes. Is that the uh, CRS process, the same thing we were using for the um the metric cluster and that sort of thing, or is that something else? Uh, I think it's something else. I can't remember. There, there's it's brand new in nine two. There's a nine two uh, introduction that did some uh, something for replication across all the nodes. Okay, I think it is CRS configure configuration replication it could, services. It could, it could very well be. We'll see. Tune in next week. No, I'm just kidding. We're not going to talk about that next week. <laughs> 
we'll let you know in the blog. Uh, so as far as name services go, I mean, what are we using these things for? I mean, is it just NAS or is it for other stuff? Most of the time it's just NAS, right? Because that's where you have your usernames and and we don't have insight into block storage. We're, we're not looking at it in SAN. So NAS is, NAS is the primary consumer, but with SAN, you still have a few things, right? There still could be some host names uh, and there's still could be some um, uh, usernames that, that need access. What about logging in? Well, RBAC. the sort of thing. interesting thing is RBAC is not in, at least for 9.3, is not using the global name service cache. So anything RBAC related, if you're doing, if you're do, especially if you're doing LDAP uh, in RBAC, it's not using the global name, global name service cache. And that's fine. I mean, we're not going to be logging in repeatedly over and over again unless we're trying to DOS the system, which I hope you're not trying to do that. I, I log in repeatedly. <laughs> You're, you're special. <laughs> so um, so as far as name services go, I mean, 9.3 has the global cache. Uh, are there still other caches in play? I mean, are the SecD caches still in play? The Mblade caches, you know, the access caches, that sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. So, so the nine three is a is a beginning of the globalization of the name service cache. So we have uh, DNS. We got host name uh, users, groups, group membership, and net groups. Right, net groups are split into by host and uh, by net group. Um, so that's the that's the initial. Thing. So we still have SecD caches for a lot of the CIF, uh, a lot of the SIFs and SMB stuff, right? So SID to SID to username and and those type of things. But those are going to move in a future ONTAP release into this global name service cache, so we can get those efficiencies in uh, in SMB that we do in NFS. Sweet, Andrew, got anything? I do not. You don't look like you do. I'm learning. Should I ask you another container question? I'm I'm learning <laughs> to include you. Let's see, I I, I do OpenStack, Docker do integrations and and stuff. So I I'm I am no longer. I have it's been three years since I was down in the weeds with any of our storage platforms. So I'm learning. Yeah, Andrew is very storage agnostic these days. I love all of our platforms equally. They're all my favorite child. He just doesn't. He's Kubernetes. He doesn't care. <laughs> he doesn't care what you use as long as it says NetApp. Exactly. It. That's right. All right. So with all good things, they must come to an end, including caches. Um, so with caches, how long do they last? And is that something that I can configure? Yeah. So the default TTL is 24 hours. What's a TTL? Um, never mind. <laughs> I'm serious. People don't know. Let's, let's yeah. answer Time to live. I know that Time one. Time to live. Andrew, can, he can contribute. I got that reference. <laughs> Hold on. I got something for that right here. Hold on. Could you hear the clap? Only in one ear. <laughs> All right. Uh, so how long does a cache live in ONTAP in the global name service cache? And can I configure it? Yeah, so the TTL for all the caches are 24 hours, right? So TTL is time to live, and so the, by default, everything sits at 24 hours. You can also turn on and off the individual caches, right? Um, so each cache, each cache, so user, um, group, group, man group membership, net group by host, and net group by name, 
all can get turned off and turned on individually. And then you can uh, you can change the TTL for each one of those individually, too. So what are some use cases why we'd want to do that? Stop stealing my questions. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. You ask, you ask Andrew. <laughs> So why would why would I want to turn off one of those, right? What's the reason that I might want to either lower the TTL or disable one of those caches? So there's there's a lot of places where you have a lot of churn. And actually, you know, uh, Kubernetes and, and containerization is one of those perfect examples where you bring up stuff and, and put it down, bring it up, shut it down a lot. So you've got a lot of churn. So you want to bring those TTLs down so that when you have the churn, right, you're not getting on, you're not dealing with stale cache data. You're not dealing with, oh, this IP address was this host name five, five days ago, and I want to know what it is now or 20, more than 24 hours ago. Um, as net groups is, is one where you might have a lot of churn where things come in and out of a net group. Um, you know, user and group memberships um, are are another place where there's a lot of churn uh, in in the name services to where you want to make sure that you don't want to take 24 hours for the change to to reflect it on tap. So will it adhere to so if if my DNS entry has a TTL of an hour or five minutes, will it still adhere to that in the global name services cache, or will it? Yeah, no, the, the, for DNS, the TTL will adhere to whatever your DNS server sends. Um, for files, right, so if, if you're doing hostname in the files in ONTAP, uh, the default TTL is 24 hours. So you can change that. That's the, that's the only difference with, between the host cache TTLs and all the rest of the cache TTLs. All the rest of them and the host file cache is all 24 hours by default. If we get the answer from a DNS server, we honor whatever the TTL the DNS server sent. And can I invalidate an entry? So, for example, if I have a, a user that changes or a group that changes, uh, you know, can, can I invalidate that so that it doesn't take up to 24 hours for that change to take effect? Yeah, each one of those caches, you can individually invalidate an entry. And you can clear the whole cache if you want to. Per vServer, per entry. So I could delete... Mr. Parisi, for example. Absolutely. Yes. So, <laughs> and this just means more time for me to to dawdle and do nothing, just like every other day. Dawdle. 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 Okay. Do you do, do you a, not speak the English, a, English language? It's a great Southernism. <laughs> dawdle. All right. So, name services I can use that for NAS environments mostly. If I'm trying to use something like NFS v4, and is usually the the biggest use case because v4 needs that name ID mapping. Right. What are some best practices to use if you're configuring a name service environment? Well, you know, we've done we've done a lot of work with the defaults. So a lot of the times, the defaults will will definitely get you through just about everything. Um. But you want to make sure that, especially when you're using net groups or you know a lot of group memberships, and you've got a lot of churn, look at what your churn is. Look at what your your um, your time really you want your users to wait for access, and then 
you know, make sure that those TTLs are set properly for those. What do you mean by churn? Like butter or like what uh, is this churn thing you speak of? Yeah, butter. <laughs> no, just changes in your net groups, changes in your group memberships. If you have a lot of changes in there, then you might want to, if, if it's a daily thing, if it's an hourly thing, you definitely want to take those TTLs down so you can have the, the, the right access, you know, at the right time. So what about DNS? Um, when I'm setting up records, do I want to use an A record or do I want to use a PTR record? When's the best time to use each? Well, you should be using both, right? You should always have an A and a PTR. That's always best practice. So when you look up an IP, you get the host name. When you look up the host name, you get the same IP address. There are some times where you want the disconnects, where you have uh, you know, CNAME records or something like that. But you know, that's that's a little... When That's, do I want a CNAME record? Well, what is a CNAME record? It's a canonical name, right? So how does that play into the DNS? Yeah, so it's, it's, it's basically another A record for the same IP address, but it doesn't point to the IP address. It points to the host name. So if the host name is a round robin, you know, you can have a CNAME for the round robin. And there's all sorts of other goodness that you can do with a CNAME. So one thing you'd want to do with a CNAME is if you're trying to set up an alias for DNS, set up a C name. Don't set up an A record. Right. Because <laughs> if you have multiple A records with different names, that can wreak havoc in your DNS environment. And what I'm thinking of specifically is with setting up something like Kerberos, where oh, yeah. you know you set an SPN and it's different than the host name that you tried to create for your NAS environment. You probably want to set up a C name to do the alias for that. Yeah, Kerber Kerberos is highly dependent on on the host names. So if you if your host names don't match, then guess what? You don't get a Kerberos ticket. That's so right. I'm going to ask a dumb question. Go ahead. I specialize in I, those. I expect those from you. I also get paid by the dumb question. You do. <laughs> You'll get a nickel for this one, sir. Does it have any effect on DNS load balancing in the cluster? On the the on-box load balancing that we have? Oh, it's... wait a second. Let's let's back up because people don't know about this on-box DNS in most cases. I've, I found this that people don't know this exists. So let's talk about on-box DNS. So what, 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 what I'm load hearing balancing? is the evangelism team. Is... I, no, I've evangelized it. I just, in general, people don't know it. <laughs> I have a TR out there on it, TR4523 for DNS load balancing and ONTAP. So let's kind of cover that at a high level. So what is the load balance option in ONTAP for DNS? So what happened, what uh, ONTAP does is when a client goes and looks up a, a the uh, host name for the SVM, then the DNS system in your enterprise DNS system, instead of having an IP address, you have a pointer to ONTAP. And then ONTAP has information on all the lifts, all the, um, and the load for all the nodes in the cluster and for the SVM, and it puts back an IP, it gives back an IP address to the client that is the most optimal for that con NAS connection. That's a terrible explanation of Onbox DNS, Chris. Oh, sorry. Okay. This, this is what really happens with Onbox DNS. <laughs> so you're right. It does get pointed back to ONTAP. ONTAP acts as a DNS server. We actually right. have named D processes in each node. So ONTAP itself is a DNS service. Right. And you can set individual lifts to listen for DNS requests mm -hmm. through options. And those get put into what's called a weights file. Did you know about the weights file, Chris? Uh, yeah, I did. So why didn't you say it? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I said low. I kid, Chris. I kid. You did a good job. So, yeah. So, in general, <laughs> uh, DNS gets pointed to a zone, whether it's a delegation or a conditional forwarder pointed to ONTAP. Right. ONTAP services, a lift, like Chris said, gets sends back the best optimal lift based on CPU and throughput on the node. Um, and weight. And, well, <laughs> like weight, like physical heaviness of the node. Which node is the most heavy node in the cluster? Let's use that one. No, it's your arbitrary yeah, it's, weight. Yeah, it's, there's a weight. So um, as far as the DNS load balancing goes, we don't always want to use that because it's mostly for environments where you see a lot of mounts taking place. Because if we're not mounting all the time, if we have a, like say for an ESX environment, I usually mount a data store and it's done. I don't, yeah. I don't keep remounting. So that's not going to buy me anything if I'm trying to load balance based on load. I want to load balance based on round robin, like A records, yep, or through just physically, manually doing the IP addresses. Well, the other thing with VMware, you have a finite number of hosts, too. That's right. I feel like that we have an integration where processes get spun up and spun down that are dynamically mounting and unmounting storage regularly. Hmm. What kind of process would do that? Hmm. Uh, it starts with a C. And ends with an untainers. <laughs> <laughs> it's the untainer. <laughs> so tell us about that, Andrew. Yeah, no, so I, I really was not driving here at this point. Um, it, but yes, you know, leveraging the DNS load balancing that is done by the ONTAP cluster is a very valid, very uh, uh, possible right method to use in order to help load balance rates, leveraging the system intrinsic functionality when you're creating... And literally, this is the goal with Trident and our integrations, right? Create volumes, destroy volumes, mount volumes, unmount volumes, all automatically on demand as quickly as, uh, you know, whatever that container's integration needs. Yeah, that or auto-mounters with uh, home directories. That's another use case where this might make sense to use it. Absolutely. Right. High number of clients, high number of mounts. But we, right. we never did answer my question. Mm, you had a question? Name services cache and DNS load balancing. Is lo DNS load balancing affected by the global name services cache? Well, I think the reality is it's two different perspectives, right? So you have the, the, the name service cache is all about ONTAP as a client, and the Onbox DNS uh, load balancer is all about load balancing to the clients that are trying to connect to ONTAP. And that's really where I was going with that. Right, not I was not in a roundabout way trying to get back to containers or anything, but rather <laughs> it the, worked. The global the global name services cache is on tap being a client, DNS load balancing is on tap being a DNS server. Right. All right. So DNS best practices would be having multiple DNS servers Absolutely. to distribute the load. You don't want to have a single DNS server out there. And don't put them all out in the cloud. Don't put them all out in some weird place that has like 60 millisecond of response time. Yeah, also, do not put them on the same data store that relies on the DNS server. Yeah, put, put it on a VMware data store that relies on the DNS server to mount the... No, don't. No, don't do, do that because if, if your data store goes out... <laughs> Your DNS server goes out, and if your DNS server goes out, your data store goes out, and yeah, it's called circular dependency. We don't want to do that. Yeah. Now, I mean, you know, the, the old IT rule of thumb was always have a, a physical server to do name services. But, you know, with cloud now, maybe it's a cloud server. Maybe it's a it's something that doesn't have a circular dependency. Maybe it's a container. No, we don't want to do that. That'd be terrible. That'd be awful. <laughs> Yeah, let's use this non-persistent uh, entity to hold our name services. Let's put a circle within a circle. Yeah. Let's do that. 
So uh, LDAP servers and NIS servers, um, those we also follow the same rules, right? We want to have multiple of those. Do we still have NIS servers? Some people still use it. Andrew has one. <laughs> that I believe. Actually, we do in the TME list. See? <laughs> you can now also configure Windows Active Directory for NIS. You can do this. Yeah. No, you definitely want multiple uh, LDAP servers, multiple NIS servers. Of course, starting in 9.2, you can use host names for those. Host names for, oh, to, to configure to, the LDAP. Yeah. yeah, so that's good because before we could only do IP addresses for that or the AD domain name if you use AD. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I mean, you laughed about NIS. There's a reason why you laughed at it. Why is that? Well, NIS is kind of 80s. Yeah. Well, not just because it's 80s. It's not secure, <laughs> right? You can't you can't bind encrypt your bind. You can't encrypt the traffic. Yeah. You it, can't have resiliency with a NIS server unless you manually copy all the files over to other NIS servers, right? Yeah. It's it's ancient technology. I mean, it's it's just you know basically all it is is sharing out your Etsy password and Etsy group and Etsy netgroup file. That's it. There's no yeah no security no. No, well, no, this person can do this, this person can do that. Anybody can do anything there. Yeah, and with Active Directory LDAP, I mean, it does all the replication for you. So that's a good thing to have if you're interested in Active Directory, right? You can also use non-Active Directory. You can use Open LDAP. You right. can use Apple's LDAP systems. Um, well, one of the most popular ones out there right now is uh, Red Hat's ID Management, right? IDM, which is based on IPA. Yeah, and actually it has gotten a lot better than it used to be. So it's no longer this manual process to configure these things. They've got GUIs. They've got nice little interfaces to use. It's all automated. You don't have to set up a bunch of config files. You can just even, run a command. Even the replication is automated on those things. And, yeah, you, you set up a client with a single command. You set up the server with a single command. Uh, you know, the LDAP pieces are getting really easy to configure in the Unix world. And what about net groups? I mean, there's a certain I- idea of how you want to configure your net groups. Should I do that with by host, or should I do that another way? Well, the 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 best thing to do is to use FQDN, right, and or IP address. I, IP address gets a little hairy um, because you know if you have you know if you have a lot of DHCP in your in your environment, uh, IP addresses can can be a blocker for you. But uh, fully qualified domain names, FQDNs, are the preferred method because that's the easiest way to <clears throat> to look up a client. So that's, you know, hostname.domainname.com or whatever your internal domain is. Um, short names are kind of, you know, balked at because you can get uh, you can get into performance issues, especially if your DNS is set up for a lot of search domains. So we'll go when we're looking up net groups. We'll go look at the host name. We'll go look at the host name with domain A, with domain B, with domain C, and with domain D. And you know you can see how that can cause performance problems. Yeah, and what I was really getting at was you know net group by host can allow you to look up hosts by their names as opposed to doing a bulk dump of all the net groups, which is the other me- method of it, right? So basically, send me all your net group contents. I'm going to wait for it. I'm going to parse through it versus just grabbing what you need. Oh, yeah, yeah. Definitely you want to set up your LDAP server to do netgroup by host. So, you know, when you're when you're doing the lookup, like you said, when you're doing the lookup, you're just looking up the host name and getting all the netgroup memberships for that single host name versus going through the netgroup and saying, oh, is this host name part of it? 
And as far as schema configurations for LDAP, um, one thing I've noticed is that the question is always asked, you know, what schema should I use for different LDAP servers? And generally speaking, Linux-based LDAP servers are going to use RFC 2307. Right. Um, you can c customize that if you like. You can use ONTAP to customize it. You can copy the schemas to another schema and modify. But out of the box, RFC 2307 is going to work for most cases. Um, Active Directory, there are some fun things about the schemas there. So older Active Directory, like 2003, used the services for Unix schema. The SFU. SFU, right? Uh, 2008 R2 used IDMU, which is Identity Management for Unix. And then uh, beyond that, it's pretty much the same, 2012, 2016. One thing that I would like to point out is when you're using Active Directory LDAP, you should use RFC 2307 biz functionality. Right. So the reason why you'd want to use RFC 2307 biz is because what it does, it takes the native member group membership in Active Directory and uses that to pick out what groups a user is a member of. So the old way of doing it was something called member UID field, and that was set on each group, and you would basically configure this manually in LDAP. You have to go in and say, you know, add this user to this group in addition to the Windows group, so they weren't really tied together. So there was two steps you had to take to get things added into Unix and Windows. A member UID population wasn't always there. People would, you know, have an LDAP environment already in place, and they'd have to go add a bunch of stuff just to use it. Um, RFC 2307biz looks at the group membership based on the member schema piece, and it pulls all the DNs from the member, and then it does reverse lookup of, the, of those DNs and figures out what the group IDs and that sort of thing are. So it's a real good way of doing native Active Directory LDAP within your, your LDAP schemas, right? You don't have to worry about configuring anything else. You can just turn that on, and then we can pull the group membership based on what's already there in Windows. Right. As, lo as long as... You've assigned a GID to to all of those groups. So, Chris, this name services has really interested me to no end. Where would I find more information about name services? So, there is a brand new TR, uh, 4668 is the new one, uh, that replaces 4379. We decided... Doesn't replace it. It enhances it. Continue. It, it replaces it. <laughs> No, because that one covered prior right, ONTAP right. versions. There, there's there's a delineation between nine two and or prior to nine two and earlier and nine three because of the the global name service cache was such a game changer um, in name services that you know it, it made sense to make a new TR. It would also really happen was we started trying to update that old TR and we realized that it was just going to be a complete rewrite anyway because you had to like talk about a bunch of new stuff that didn't apply anymore. So right. new TR it was. Yep. All right. There you have it. Name services with uh, Average Guy, Chris Hurley. Average Guy X. I'm sorry. Average, average Guy, guy X. X. There's Whatever. an X in there. There is. Are you, is it because you're a mutant or because it's like a, a variable? What is the X? Ten? You're the tenth average guy out there? <laughs> I'm a variable mutant. Yeah, I don't know. I, don't know. I got nothing. <laughs> All right, that music tells me it's time to go. If you'd like to get in touch with us, send us an email to podcast at netup.com or send us a tweet at NetApp. As always, if you'd like to subscribe, find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher, or via techontappodcast.com. If you like the show today, leave us a review. On behalf of the entire Tech on Tap podcast team, I'd like to thank Chris Hurley for joining us today. As always, thanks for listening.
Oh yeah. Is it just me that's getting off on this? Oh yeah. <laughs> 